Well, good morning, everybody. It's great to be with you. As Matt said, my name is Sawyer Trapp. I'm the associate pastor here at Arise Church Denver. In addition to helping out with VBS this week, um, tomorrow you will find me in this same position with about 100 kids in this room acting a fool. And so that is the other thing that I do is... And sit in my wife just mouth, and that's not different. You do that at home too. So yeah, yeah, that's what I do. I, I get to help out with the next generation and with our adults, as well as um, all the graphics and website stuff. So I do a little bit of everything here, and it's my joy and pleasure um, to do all of that and to be your pastor, and as well as teach today. So I'm very excited about that. Um, we're continuing with our shift series. We've been diving in. We're finally going to finish the book of Luke. Um, if you've been with us for a long time, we started this back in December of 2019. So we started with the birth of Jesus, and we've been slowly working our way through with series after series. If you want to catch up on all of those, and you're like, man, I'd like to listen to all of them over the next week before we end next week, we have a YouTube playlist that actually has all, it'll be 68 messages as of today that'll work you through the book of Luke. So if you wanna dedicate your week towards that, that'd be great, and then you can be all caught up for next week. Um, but today we're gonna dive in at some of Jesus's most important and maybe even his final words here on earth. But to get us started, I have a question for you. Um, how many of you know the name Sataya Nadella? Raise your hand, anybody? No one. Oh, one person. Kane, you do? Two? Microsoft CEO, that's correct. Yes, Kane would know that, absolutely. So yes, obviously all of us know the name Microsoft. We know their products, we know Windows, we know the sounds that are associated with that company, right? But we don't know the person behind it. And actually, Microsoft, if you don't know, has the third highest brand evaluation in the world. They have a value of, let me look it up really quick, $162.9 billion. And maybe unlike Meta, which we know Mark Zuckerberg, or Amazon that we know Jeff Bezos, we don't know the person that's leading Microsoft. And yes, of course, if we were to say the name Bill Gates, how many of you know the name Bill Gates? Obviously, pretty much all of us in this room and, and those that are joining online know the name Bill Gates, the starter of this company, along with his partner, Paul Allen, who started this company, creating basic interfaces for computers to basically bring that from a computer that took up an entire room into what we know as personal computing. And obviously, we've seen the results of that so much so that we now have computers that can do infinitely more in our pockets than ones that took up entire rooms. And so we know the beginning, we know the founder, we know the story, we obviously know the company, but we don't know the leadership. We don't know the person behind it. And actually, if you don't know, Satya Nandela is actually a guy that's really focused not only on, on approaching his business ethically, but um, paying his employees well, uh, making sure that they're cared for, and he has written a book that is primarily focused on his story and on empathy. And this is a quote out of that book. It says, I truly believe that each of us, I truly believe that each of us, there it is, I truly believe that each of us find meaning in our work. And that the best work happens when you know it's not just work, but something that will improve other people's lives. And if you've ever gone on a personal computer, if you've ever opened up Office or Outlook, or many of us have now been glued to our Teams, Microsoft Teams platform throughout the pandemic and beyond, we've obviously seen that their work impacts our lives. But... A technology company can only go so far in making an impact in the world. Yes, they promote communication, they create maybe greater connection, but if, if Nadella can say this about Microsoft, then how much more can we say this about our faith? 
about the things that we do. Because, friends, our faith, the things that we believe, can certainly improve the lives of other people. And in the same way, we know Microsoft, right? We know Bill Gates. Many people know Christianity. Many people know Jesus. But now, as the video has said, it's up to us. People may not know our name, they may not recognize us, they may not experience us personally, but we have something that can improve people's lives dramatically. And so this whole series is all about us rising up, of Jesus transitioning his primary role of ministry, not longer from him, but to his disciples and all of his followers. So that means you and me. And what Jesus is doing in our passage this morning is basically giving the ministry to his disciples. He's saying, I'm not gonna be with you forever. And so now, it's up to you. And thousands of years later, it's up to us. And so last week, Matt walked us through, Jesus appears to these two people walking on the road to Emmaus and and walks them through who he is and how he fits in God's great great plan and narrative, and their minds are open, and right at the end of that passage, they, they run back to the disciples who are meeting in this house, they're hiding, they're afraid, they don't know what the future holds, maybe they're worried that like Jesus, they're gonna be killed as well. And so they appear and they say, guys, Jesus is alive. We were just with him. He was walking with us and then he disappeared. We don't know what happened, but he's alive. He's alive. And that's where we pick up our passage this morning. But I have a radical idea for you this morning. Something that I want you to sit with as we we work through our passage. This idea that God doesn't need you for his mission, but he still wants you. God doesn't need you for his mission, but he still wants you. And as you read that and listen to that this morning, maybe it hits you in a few ways. Maybe you're like, God doesn't need me? I don't know, I'm pretty great. I got a lot of skills, got a lot of abilities. You might wanna use me, God. Or maybe, maybe you're on the other side. Maybe you're saying, man, God still wants me? Even with all my pain, my hurt, my flaws, God still wants to use me? And so no matter how that hits you this morning, whether you're saying, man, God really needs me or God still wants me or or somewhere in between, maybe this is just a great reminder for you, but I want you to dive into this passage because it's so good, it's so rich, it it reveals the heart of God and about Jesus' mission. And so with that, I want us to dive in. We're in Luke chapter 24. We're just, in, just about to the end, the second to last section. Um, you can follow along in your Bibles if you wanna join with us on your phone, or if you're joining with us online, there's a link to the uh, YouVersion Bible event. You can open that Bible app and click the three dashed lines and click events, and then it'll be right under there. You can follow along with us. So with all of that, if you wanna jump in, we're in Luke chapter 24, starting in verse 36. And it starts off like this. While they were still talking about this, Jesus stood among them and said, peace be with you, peace be with you. And they were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. So what were they talking about? These these two men, these two people that were on the road have just appeared to the disciples and said that Jesus is alive. They were excited, they were overcome. And while they're still talking about that, Jesus appears to them. And we always wonder why they say peace, right? Because Jesus just appears in the room, right? If, if a person just appeared right here next to me or appeared right here in the middle of the stage, you would want some peace, right? Because you would be freaked out. 
You'd be scared, you'd be frightened. As it says, the disciples were startled and frightened, thinking that they saw a ghost. They saw a ghost? These are the people that have spent over three years with Jesus, that have gotten that behind-the-scenes access, they've gotten the, the look into who Jesus is, they were given the, the real story behind the parables, they had spent time with Jesus, they had eaten with him, they had more close access with Jesus during his life than anyone else. And yet we see right in this passage that they were hiding, they were scared, and the resurrection was not on their mind at all. Jesus had suggested and hinted at him that he would come back, that three days later he would be rose, risen from the grave, and, and the disciples don't expect it. And if this passage in the Bible doesn't give you hope, then I don't know what passage does. Because these disciples have spent three years, three dedicated years in Jesus' boot camp, and they didn't expect the resurrection. They were startled, and they were afraid, they were concerned, thinking that they saw a ghost. And if God can use them, God can use us too. And yet you would think that, that Jesus would be like, guys, come on, it's me. Or, or maybe, maybe in our modern age, he would just go, he would just face palm, right? Or maybe he would criticize them. He would be like, I don't know. But that, that's not what he does, right? If we were in that position and, and we were Jesus, we had just spent three years with these people and had given them and, and had taught them and had encouraged them and supported them and raised them up and we appear to them risen, they should have expected it, right? Yeah, but he doesn't respond to their fear with critique. He responds with love and encouragement. Look at how he responds in verse 38. He said to them, why are you troubled and why do doubts rise in your minds? He doesn't critique them. He doesn't make fun of them. He doesn't chastise them. He shows care and concern for them. He says, why are you troubled? Why are you concerned? Why are these doubts rising up in your minds? Why do you think I'm a ghost? I'm alive, I'm risen. This was the plan all along. I, I showed you this, I've taught you this, and, and, and you missed it, but you're concerned, you're scared, you're doubting. So he doesn't respond to that, that fear with critique, he responds with care. He responds with love. I think there's a misconception in our faith that Christians have it all together. That if we're a follower of Jesus, we have to have all the right answers, we have to have, know all the right things, that, that doubt is the enemy. And in this, we see his disciples are doubting and overcome with fear, and Jesus doesn't respond with critique. He doesn't respond by wagging his finger or looking down in shame. He responds with love and with care. And so if you have doubts this morning, then you're in the right place. If you have doubts this morning, then Jesus is asking you, why are you troubled? Why are doubts in your mind? Why are you concerned? I wanna help you. And that's exactly what he does with the disciples. He begins to give them evidence that he is really there, that he is really present, that he really is alive. Jumping to verse 39, it says, look at my hands and my feet. It is myself, touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you, can, as you see I have. He begins to give them evidence. He's given them his presence, his care, his concern, and then he says, touch me, I'm real. My skin is here. 
Look at my hands and my feet. My hands and feet that, that bear the scars of my crucifixion. That have the holes where the nails hung them on that cross. Look, it's me. It's Jesus. I'm alive. I'm not a ghost. And so he gives them evidence. He meets their doubt with encouragement, with care, and with reasons to believe. Jumping down to verse 41, it says this. He says, And while they were still did not believe because of joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything to eat? I love the way that Luke includes little details like this. Look at this. It says, they still didn't believe it. Jesus is in their presence, showing care and concern for them. He's shown them his hands, his flesh. He's shown them his scars, his hands and his feet. And yet they still didn't believe. What does it say? Because of joy and amazement. Have you ever experienced something in your life that's too good to be true? Maybe it was a surprise vacation. Maybe you got proposed to and you were coming out of left field and you didn't expect it. Maybe you made a sports team or got the lead in the play when you thought that wasn't gonna happen at all. You thought you would be stuck on JV or as an extra. Uh, The biggest um, too good to be true moments in my own life were when Sarah told me that we were pregnant the first time and then pregnant the second time. Another one was when I got the phone call saying that I was gonna get a full ride scholarship for seminary. And I literally had one of those moments where you're unable to talk. I was just holding the phone, I was just like. So much so that the person that I was speaking with thought that we had lost the connection. They're like, are you still there? I'm like, I I stumbled out like, yeah. I was so overcome with the goodness and the joy and amazement that my seminary education was gonna be paid for. What a gift, what a blessing. It was too good to be true. And, and maybe in the same way the disciples are saying, in the back of their minds, they're saying, oh yeah, Jesus maybe did say that. Maybe we should have seen this coming. But Jesus is there in their presence. He's, they're touching his skin and his flesh and his hands and his feet, and they still can't believe it. It's too good to be true. They're filled with joy and amazement. And so Jesus gives them another piece of evidence, right? He asks for something to eat. Ghosts don't eat stuff, right? They're not hungry. Spirits don't need to have hungry bellies. They don't need a snack. And so he eats something. He says that they eat some boiled fish. And then finally the disciples are like, okay, Jesus, you showed us. You cared for us. You appeared for us. We touched you. You ate something. It really is you. But look at what happened. Jesus appears to them. He loves them. He cares for them. Why? Because the disciples still are doubting. They still have doubts. But as we're gonna see a little bit later on, that doesn't prevent them from being used by God. It doesn't prevent them. It doesn't stand in their way. And it doesn't stand in our way. And you know why? Because God still wants to use us even with our doubts. God wants you even with your doubts. As I said earlier, if you have doubts, if you're watching online, if you're in this room, then you are in the right place. As Val said so beautifully earlier on, faith is not about sight, it's about trust. J.D. Greer put it this way, that faith is not the absence of doubt. It is continuing to follow Jesus in the midst of doubt. 
in the midst of doubt, friends. And like, like the disciples, Jesus says, why are you troubled? Why does doubt rise in your minds in a loving way, in a caring way, in an encouraging way? Because when we have doubts, it ultimately can lead us back to God, to trust more, to have more faith, to see that God can respond to evidence with our doubts, that there's really good reasons for believing that the things that we believe in are true. There's really good reasons for believing that Jesus actually rose from the dead. He appeared to almost 500 people. He changed people's lives. The disciples go from being scared and frightened and doubt-ridden to preaching with boldness. That doesn't happen for a fake story. Grand hallucinations don't happen. Jesus rose from the dead. We can believe that. But even if you doubt that this morning, even if you have questions that are big and huge and massive, God is big enough for them. God is bigger than our doubts and he can still use us anyway. And so now Jesus, having responded to their doubts, is gonna give them one last teaching, his final words, some of his most important words to the disciples. We pick it up a little bit later in verse 44. He says to them, this is what I told you when I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. So just like he did with the, with the people on the road to Emmaus, he begins to walk the disciples through who he is fully and completely in the grand narrative of God's redemption. That all the way from the very beginning, from Adam and Eve's sin, God wasn't surprised, he wasn't dumbfounded, he already had a plan that he was working out and through the Old Testament, the law, the prophets, and the Psalms, God is bringing about that plan, building up to Jesus. And what he is saying is that this is fulfilled. I fulfilled it all. I did everything that I needed to do to give you salvation, to renew relationship between you and God, to change people's lives forever. Jesus did it. He did everything in the law of Moses. He fulfilled the law fully. He did everything that the prophets pointed to him, fulfilling that and doing everything that he said they were going to do. He responds to the joy and the sadness of the Psalms. He did it. And this next verse, we could be so easy to skip over, but I think it's one of the most important verses in this whole section. Verse 45. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. This, we could just read this in passing, maybe skim over it, get to the next section of Jesus talking, but this is so important. Because what is this saying? That these disciples, these followers of Jesus, the people that had the closest and most intimate connection with Jesus for the past three years, still don't understand, right? If Jesus has to open their minds, then their minds were still closed. The people that should have gotten it, that should have begun to put the pieces together of God's plan, that had been revealed and gotten that backstage access to Jesus, still missed it. Man, the disciples give us hope, right? We don't have to have it all together. We don't have to have it all together. And so Jesus opens their minds, and they can see that God has been planning this from the very beginning. They can see that Jesus has fulfilled everything that he needed to 
They can see that Jesus truly is the savior of the world. Sent on a rescue mission down to earth, born as that baby in a manger, living the perfect life that we couldn't and dying our death in our place. And raised from the dead and now in their presence explaining that to them. They see it, they get it. And so he responds to their doubts, but he doesn't hold their faults against them. Because God still wanted to use them even with their faults, and God still wants to use you with your faults. We all have mistakes. We miss the mark. We don't get it. We don't, put, we don't see what God's doing. Maybe we've hurt other people. Maybe we've been hurt by other people. Maybe you're like me, and you, and you like to think you can do it all by yourself. And when push comes to shove, when things get difficult, you realize again and again that you need God. Maybe you think you're disqualified because you've pushed into this identity that you're not good enough, that you can't be used by God, that when I said that God still wants you, you were like, really? Whatever your faults are, whatever you think stands in your way of being used by God, God is saying that it doesn't, that nothing, no fault, no sin, no mistake, no hardship stands in your way of being used by God in a powerful way. Because these disciples should have gotten it, right? They should have seen what God is doing. They had had these three years with Jesus. They had seen it all. They had had Jesus' closest teachings. And yet they still needed their minds open. And so maybe our prayer this morning is that God would open our minds. He would reveal to us the nuances, the importance, the plan of Scripture that we would be able to see even now that God is working and active and see the ways that we can join with him on his mission. God, open our minds and our hearts to what you are doing. So he responds to their doubts, right? He responds to their faults, and then he's finally gonna give them their mission. Nothing's gonna stand in their way. Nothing stands in our way. We pick it up in verse 46, excuse me, 47. He told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached to all the nations beginning at Jerusalem. That's what it's all about. That is what it's all about, that Jesus really is the Messiah, the Savior of the world, God in the flesh, who would live the life we couldn't, died our death, and repentance is available for all who believe. And this good news, this gospel isn't to be kept, isn't to be held on to, it's to be shared, it's to go out and to preach to all the nations, beginning in Jerusalem. And once again, this isn't a new revelation. This isn't something new or different. This has been God's plan all along. Just briefly, I want us to look at a couple passages that show this. Starting all the way back in Genesis 12. Genesis 12. Starts off like this. It says, I will make you into a great nation. This is God talking to Abraham. He says, I will bless you and all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. God's gonna bless all peoples through this special family, this nation that's gonna grow and bless all the nations of the world. All the way back in Genesis. In Psalm 67, verse two, it says, so that your ways may be known on earth, your salvation among all the nations. All of the nations will know the way of God. 
said it in Genesis, in the book of Moses, says it in the Psalms, and it says it in the prophets. Look at Isaiah 49, verse six. It says, I will make you a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth, to the ends of the earth. Or, or in Joel, Joel 2, verses, excuse me, chapter 2, 32. It says, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem. It even says the in Jerusalem piece, that there will be deliverance as the Lord has said, even for the survivors the Lord calls. A deliverance, that salvation is available beginning in Jerusalem and beyond. And all the way back, all the way at the end of the story in Revelation, looking forward, after I looked, there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, every tribe, every people, every language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, and they're saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. People from every nation, every language, every tribe, speaking in their own language, and yet it all sounds like one beautiful song of praise to God. This has been God's plan all along. His plan from Genesis all the way through Revelation. And this is the pinnacle. Jesus has done what he said he was going to do with the prophets and the Psalms and the law of Moses all point to. And now it's our job to share that good news to all of the nations. To all of the nations. It's always been God's plan. Because God says and does what he's going to do. If he makes a promise, he's going to fulfill it. And Jesus has done that. And now he is calling his disciples and all of his followers to come into this one central mission. To preach that Jesus is the son of God, the savior, and what he did changed everything. To provide redemption and salvation. It transforms lives. And it calls us into a mission and a purpose that will encompass people from the entire world, from history past and futures tomorrow, every language, every nation, every tribe, every tongue, all under this central banner of spreading the good news about Jesus. Have you ever had a moment where you wonder, am I doing the right thing in life? Do I have a purpose? What is my identity? That's your identity. As a child of God, saved and given power through Jesus' resurrection, your life has been transformed, and now it's your job to tell other people about it. You do that through the church. You do that through your jobs, through your friendships, through your neighborhoods, through your community, that God has planted each and every one of us uniquely where you are for a purpose, for a mission, and with an identity that's bigger than anything that you can imagine. That's a lot, right? <laughs> Let's just be honest, that's a lot. That's awesome, we have that identity, but man, it's pretty heavy, right? What does Jesus say next? Verse 48, he says, you are to be witnesses of these things. It's not up to us, we just have to say what God has done, right? But even more than that, he says this, I am going to send you what my Father has promised. But stay in the city till you've been clothed from power, with power from on high. Jesus is saying that he doesn't need us, right? But he still wants us. And he's going to provide the means and the power behind us to make it happen. Throughout all of this series, we've had that dove up there. 
And that's a hint at what's coming. That as the mission, as the ministry is, is passed from Jesus to us and his disciples and his followers, that ultimately it's still God's mission, right? That the Holy Spirit is coming. That's the power that Jesus is talking about. The power from on high that God is no longer going to be separate, that God is ever moving closer, right? That we had perfect relationship with God in the garden and that was broken and we were separated from God and now Jesus is, is with people and with them but even more than that, now God will dwell inside of us. That the Holy Spirit will not be far away but will actually be inside of us. That if you are a follower of Jesus, you have the power of God available in you right now. In you right now. And so that means that it's not up to you that God doesn't need you to do his mission. It's gonna happen anyway. It promised all the way from Genesis through Revelation that God is going to bring his message of good news to the nations. But he is gonna do that in a crazy way. Through you and through me and through his followers, through broken people with doubts and flaws, but not on our own, through the power of the Holy Spirit. So yes, God still wants us with our doubts. He still wants us with our flaws. But you know what? God wants us to use his power. God wants you to use his power. If you are a follower of Jesus, if you have accepted that free gift of salvation, then the power of the Holy Spirit is inside of you, leading you, guiding you, directing you, encouraging you, pulling you away from sin and temptation, putting you back onto the straight and narrow, showing you the people in your lives that God is working on, that he's drawing to himself. One of my joys of being a father is that I get to just spend time with Lucy, just me, me and her. And one of the things that she loves to do when Sarah's at work on Fridays is help me with stuff. And I have a picture of it up there if you wanna jump a couple slides back. And one day we had, we had to work, we were moving around our barbecue grill and we had taken off one side so that the door would swing. She's like, Daddy, can I help you? And I said, yeah, let's do it. And Lucy, if you don't know, is, is almost three years old and she's not gonna be able to help me, right? But I'm gonna give her a screwdriver anyway. And as you can see in her hand, she's, she's holding that little screwdriver and she knows what screws are, so she just hit the screws with the screwdriver. I'm like, you pretty much got it. Like, you're like halfway there at least. And so she's not really gonna help me, right? She's not really gonna unscrew those screws. She'll get there, right? But she's not really gonna make any sort of difference. But I enjoy her helping me. It brings us closer together. And you know what? Lucy adores it. And friends, that's what it is to work alongside the mission of God. God is gonna accomplish his mission with or without us, but you know what, he still wants you. He still wants you right by his side, hitting those screws with a screwdriver. But you know what, we can do a lot more than Lucy can do with a screwdriver. Because we have been given the power of the Holy Spirit that our doubts don't stand in our way, our faults don't stand in our way. We have the power of the Holy Spirit. And we can do powerful things with God on our side. We can help lead people to Jesus. We can help bring about his restoration in the lives of people who never imagined that they would have hope. 
We can bring purpose and identity to those who don't have it. We can love the oppressed. We can care for the less fortunate. We can see miracles. God may not need you, but he still wants you. So pick up your screwdriver and let's go. Because you know what, I, I love this quote. It says, I, I do not fear that God's work will not get done, but I have every fear that it will be done without me. And so this morning, God is giving us an invitation. Jesus is giving us an invitation. He's given it to his disciples. He said, are you coming with me? I might be going away, but I'm sending the Holy Spirit and you are gonna see even better things than when you were with me. And this morning to each and every one of us, he's saying, you know what? I put you where you are for a reason. Your doubts don't stand in your way. Your faults don't stand in your way. You have the Holy Spirit, God inside of you right now if you are a follower of Jesus. Are you gonna accept that invitation? Are you gonna rise up? Because if you don't, God's mission is gonna get done, but man, you're gonna miss out. You're gonna miss out at seeing God move powerfully in your life, in the lives of your friends, your neighbors, your coworkers, your community. You're gonna miss the lives that are gonna be transformed this week at VBS. You're gonna miss the joy and amazement, that feeling of too good to be true when you see something you would never expect done through the power of God. Are you gonna accept that invitation? Hope you do. One easy way to do that, you might have noticed if you're here in person, you have that card on your seat and this is for our upcoming series called Perfect Church. Perfect Church, I know a bold claim and trust it, it says right on, the, right on the card, right on there, it's not us. We're not the perfect church. I like to think we're pretty good but we got a long way to go, right? And a lot of people have experienced a lot of pain, hurt, disappointment, in the church. And maybe even that's some of you sitting or watching online right now. And throughout this series, we're gonna paint an image of what church is supposed to be like. What our expectations should be. How we all have a role in making church better. And so this is a perfect, pun intended, series to invite your friends to. To say, hey, I know church has messed up, I maybe know in your life personally that you've been hurt by the church. Maybe give it one more try. Hey, my church isn't perfect. I'm not perfect. Come see what a bunch of imperfect people can do through God's power. And so if you're a follower of Jesus in that room, take this card and be bold with the power of the Holy Spirit knowing that doubts, that flaws don't stand in your way and make that invitation. Who knows what God can do through a simple note card. And if you're sitting in this room or listening to my voice or watching online, and maybe for the first time you're seeing that doubts and flaws don't stand in your way, that Jesus really was who he says he was and did what he said he did, and God's plan of redemption is hitting you, that the power of the Holy Spirit is knocking on your door and saying, let me in. And if that's you, I wanna pray in a minute and give you the opportunity to accept that invitation, to have your life transformed today and be invited into that mission, now transformed to tell other people about what God has done. Because it's up to us, but we don't have to do it alone. Let's pray. God, we thank you for who 